Hello, welcome to consultation paper 1925, digested and pondered upon. My name is Claire Moffat and I'm the Head of Business Development here at Royal London and I'm delighted to be joined by Sir Steve Webb, our Director of Policy, and Justin Corliss, Senior Business Development Manager and DB Expert. Justin's full analysis of the detail of the consultation paper is in this month's advisor newsletter. However, we've spent the last few weeks pondering upon the paper, digesting the facts and discussing the ramifications, and that's what we want to talk about today. We'll highlight some key points, give a brief explanation, but then give our thoughts on what this might mean. So first of all, Justin, could you give us a general summary about the purpose of this consultation paper? Yeah, absolutely, Claire. Thanks. Um, and it is just a very general summary. Please, um, if, if anybody wants more detail on this, do have a look at that advice and newsletter article. But the general summary and purpose of this consultation paper, um, the FCA are concerned that too many advisors are delivering poor advice, much of it driven by the conflict of interest in the way they're remunerated. Most consumers are advised on a contingent basis. Uh, recent findings from FCA um, thematic reviews and what have you um, suggested that 69% of consumers seeking advice on pension transfers were advised to transfer. However, this does fall to around about 55% once we factor in known triage clients. And this isn't skewed by just a few advisors either. The recent findings showed that 60% of firms holding these permissions recommended over 75% of inquiring customers to transfer. Now, recent thematic reviews by the FCA suggested that only around 50% of advice was deemed suitable. Now, the FCA repeated in the most recent consultation paper and quite frankly, all of the consultation papers and, and policy statements that they've released since certainly the start of 2017, uh, that their stance is that a transfer will not be in the best interest of most consumers. Now, if nothing else, that suggests that the ratio of transfer to inquiry, at least in the FCA's eyes, should be somewhere below 50%. Now, the impact of the ongoing advisor charging on the initial advice decision and also the impact that this has on the ongoing retirement income pot are given a lot closer inspection than in this consultation paper than we've seen in the past. And just to give you a, a general feel, the tone of this consultation paper was very different to the tone of previous policy statements and consultation papers. It was a lot more direct, a lot more definitive. Um, so uh, obviously the, the, uh, the FCA are, are really wanting to see action off the back of it. Thanks, Justin. Steve, we know the FCA is proposing a ban on contingent charging, where pension transfer specialists provide advice on pension transfers, but they only receive remuneration if the recommendation is to proceed. They're consulting on this as they believe it could be creating a conflict of interest for advisors. They do propose a carve-out for those in ill health or severe financial distress, but that's only going to be for a small minority of people. Do you think that this is likely to go ahead? And if so, what implications do you think that this will have for pension transfer advice? I think this is pretty much a done deal. Uh, when the FCA think for many months, get a lot of political pressure to take action on contingent charging and finally announce that that's what they plan to do. The odds of them listening to consultation and completely changing their mind in three months' time seems to be close to zero. So I think we can assume that contingent charging is going um, 
there may be features of the things they're consulting on that may change in response to the consultation. It seems to me, for example, and we'll talk a bit more about abridged advice in a moment, that things that are a bit newer, that they've not had a chance to get people's views on, they're more likely to amend or tweak what they've said in the documents. But I think this basic principle uh, is, is, is a done deal now. And, you know, even when the FCA published this document, Frank Field weighed in and said, it's too late, it's too slow, the FCA is useless. So again, the pressure on them to go through with this seems to me uh, inevitable. In terms of the impact, obviously, the, the big concern is people not being able to afford advice because they have to find the money up front. Uh, they can't sort of take it out of the pot if the transfer goes ahead. Uh, and that will clearly put people off. And the FCA is aware of that and they propose some ameliorations, not in my view, that go very far. So I think unless other changes are made, we will see fewer people coming forward for advice and for reasons that we'll discuss later in this podcast, uh, an awful lot fewer advisors willing to offer advice. So I think the market will shrink, and I don't think the FCA mind one little bit. Okay, thanks, Steve. Justin, so won't advisors just find a way around this contingent charging ban, maybe by charging a token amount for advice and then a big charge for implementing the recommendation? Uh, well, the FCA seemed to have thought about this and, and considered it and have proposed the following rules to prevent what they refer to as gaming the contingent charging ban, which is exactly what you're talking about there. So no offsetting, or the first rule that they're proposing is no offsetting other work they do for the client against the pension transfer cost, so it can't be hidden amongst other work that you're doing. Not charging less for a pension transfer or for pension transfer advice, beg your pardon, then an advisor would uh, charge for advice on a non-pension transfer case. Now, that's quite an interesting one because it means that you couldn't um, then have a really low charge for the pension transfer advice and a high charge for implementing it unless you're going to charge a low amount for the advice that you would charge on a non-pension transfer case. So seems to get around it there. Uh, not charging more on an ongoing basis than an advisor would for a non-pension transfer case either. So not being able to have all your initial advice fees set low, but then have a really high ongoing advice charge for um, for the pension transfer. And also saying that uh, advisors must charge for advice where any service related to full advice has been undertaken. So an example there would be if they're going as far as doing a transfer value comparator or an APTA, then they would need to charge for full advice in those instances. Thank you. The FCA is proposing an easement of sorts by introducing the bridged advice and Steve mentioned that. Now that's going to have a lower cost. It enables a PTS to say the transfer is not suitable or they're unable to make a recommendation without proceeding. So, Justin, tell me a little bit more about abridged advice and whether you see this as something PTSs are likely to adopt widely. Um, I can I can see why the FCA have proposed this to counter any advice gap that a ban on contingent charging might create and also to overcome some of the dissatisfaction in the industry around the limitations of triage for pension transfers. What, what I'm not so sure about is whether advisors will want to offer this type of advice. Uh, they'll receive less remuneration in all likelihood. It still involves a pension transfer specialist. It still needs a fact find, an assessment of attitude to risk, of attitude to transfer risk, of capacity for loss. The advisor still needs to produce a report at the end and the advisor will still be on the hook for the advice. 
The PI insurers may even have issue, although I think that's possibly uh, less likely. Admittedly, though, the pension transfer specialist won't have to produce an APTA or a transfer value comparator for this abridged advice. So that's likely to bring the cost down to some extent. One one model that, that perhaps could work um, is where every prospective DB client who doesn't triage themselves out of the process is given abridged advice at a set fee. Let's say for argument's sake that's uh, 20% of the average full fee paid up front. If the advisor recommends the client not to transfer, they produce the report to that effect and that's the end of it, depending of course on your position on insistent clients. If the outcome of the abridged advice is that a decision can't be made without progressing to full advice, effectively meaning that the transfer, transfer might be suitable, the client then has the option to proceed to full advice when the remaining, perhaps 80%, of the fee is payable on a non-contingent basis. Now, this could enable abridged advice to be provided at a lower cost without pushing up the cost for those to, who proceed to full advice. A pension transfer specialist might also be better positioned to estimate the complexity of the case post-abridged advice and thus determine whether or not the full advice charge, the remaining full advice charge, is likely to be greater than the average. So whether this case is more complex and therefore is going to be greater than the average charge, therefore the remaining 80% is going to be greater than the, the, the average charge as well. So. Perhaps, but I'm still uh, still a little sceptical as to how many advisors are going to want to offer it. And I suppose just in one thought there, Claire, if I may, is um, the fact find for the abridged advice might be the point at which the advisor spots the carve-out opportunity. So following on Justin's model, you have the relatively cheap abridged advice during which time it becomes apparent that the client has limited life expectancy or you know, desperately needs money because they can't pay the mortgage. And then they're offered the, po the possibility of uh, advice on a contingent basis. So they might have a fixed fee for the abridged advice bolted on to some contingent funded advice if they tick one of those two boxes. No, good point. Okay, thanks, um, Justin and Steve. So just to move on, um, Justin, there's a lot in this consultation paper about the level of product charges and the ongoing advice charges that clients are experiencing post-transfer. So it says the average ongoing advisor charge for transfers over £200,000 is 0.66%. And that in around a third of cases, they looked at clients, um, sorry, they looked at clients were transferring into a solution that was costing more than 1.5% per annum. So, Justin, what do you make of the strengthened requirement for a PTS to demonstrate that the chosen receiving scheme is more suitable than a workplace pension scheme? Yeah, well, the, the FCA are obviously concerned about the, the high product charges or rather the drag that high product charges and high ongoing advisor charges have on fund performance. Workplace pension have a default fund charge cap of 0.75 and of course they also enjoy the governance either from the the uh, the investment governance committee or the trustees depending on the structure of the of the workplace pension scheme um, and that would you'd expect reduce the need for ongoing reviews during the accumulation stage and and therefore reduce the ongoing advice charges but will it see a lot more transfers going into workplace pensions there'll probably be some increase but remember two pretty significant things 
The first is that the, the workplace pension is really only um, being proposed as a solution during the accumulation stage. Now, in policy statement 18.6 from the FCA that they released in March of, of, uh, of, of 2018, uh, the FCA made comments about the difficulty of assessing suitability to transfer uh, particularly younger clients. And that led to many pension transfer specialists, perhaps driven by their PI insurers, shying away from transferring clients too far in advance of scheme NRD. If pension transfer specialists are reluctant to transfer clients while in the accumulation stage, then it's likely to be relevant in, in fewer instances, this proposal to move into the workplace pension. The second thing to remember is uh, workplace pensions tend to have a blanket charge for all scheme members. Individual plans tend to have a, a tiered charging structure. Now, due to the size of your average uh, defined benefit transfer, many clients may get a lower charge in an individual policy than they can in a workplace pension. In some instances, the same investment strategy used in the default, uh, as the default in the workplace pension is available in an individual plan. It certainly is in ours. What it does, though, is, is provide some sort of benchmark from the FCA for a pension transfer specialist to be guided by around price. Also remember investment pathways for decumulation clients are introduced from next year and the FCA have suggested a similar 0.75% price point uh, for those and that these could also be available to advised clients as well as the non-advised. So there's likely to be some form of price pressure both in accumulation and decumulation going forward. Thanks Justin. Steve, in Annex 1 of the consultation paper on page 48, the FCA provides a template of the suitability report summaries which compare the expected monthly charges with the monthly payment from the DB scheme. Do you see this as having an impact on consumer decisions and is it even a fair comparison? I must admit that when I looked at this, it took me a while to get my head around what it was saying because the first column essentially says stay in your company DB pension, uh, you have zero advice costs. So you're comparing zero, and who wouldn't like to pay zero, with one or two other columns where you've got a, an advice cost, either in a workplace pension or in the tailored solution the advisors recommended. And obviously the FCA is hoping people will compare zero with a monthly charge and will say, well, I, I'd rather pay zero, and then they'll not do the transfer. It's pretty pretty crude stuff. And I guess it, you, as you hint at your question, Claire, it's slightly unfair because, of course, you are getting something for this monthly figure. Um, and you're not just getting advice on managing the money you've transferred, which wouldn't be an issue if you didn't transfer. You are getting ongoing financial advice. And I think any financial advisor worth their salt doesn't see transfer advice as some sort of floating, freestanding thing. It's considered in the context of people's wider financial circumstances. They're, you know, looking at whether it's inheritance tax or uh, care funding or wider family members or a whole raft of things, your protection needs. So it's sort of implying that you won't have to pay this money if you don't transfer, which is true. But if you don't pay this money, you don't get ongoing financial advice, which in a world where people have a lot more choices and a lot more flexibility is a valuable thing. So I think it isn't a particularly fair comparison. But what it will do, I think, is require and expect advisors to justify what's being done for the money. Uh, and if they can't justify a relatively high ongoing advice charge, it may be that those will start to come down because advisors discover that clients, you know, they might wear a couple of hundred pounds, 
but they won't wear £700 kind of thing. So I think it will exert a downward pressure on ongoing advice charges. But advisors, which is probably a good discipline, will have to explain much more about the value of ongoing financial advice, which, you know, Royal London are committed to that value, uh, but unfortunately consumers don't always appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Another question for you. So in addition to this summary um, of information the FCA expect to be detailed in the suitability report, there's a proposal that clients will need to sign parts of it as well, so to confirm that they, un- they intend to follow the advice of their advisor, to confirm they understand the risks they're taking, and to confirm they are prepared to go ahead with the ongoing advice. Now, this is an attempt to demonstrate the client understands the risks and has made an informed decision. The Pension Transfer Gold Standard, um, which um, you're involved with, also focused heavily on ensuring that the client makes an informed decision. So, is the um, gold standard supportive of this proposal and does the significant support from advisors for the gold standard suggest that actually advice standards were likely to improve even without this FCA intervention? Well, you're right, Claire, to say that the the PFS's gold standard initiative, which a lot of people were involved in, um, has been well received. Well, over a thousand, I mean, many over a thousand advisors already signed up. And I think one of the frustrations of this area and something we get some feedback in surveys when we talk to advisors is essentially a lot of this is stuff that the good guys do anyway. Uh, that much of the problem in the market has been people who have just kind of been rubber stamping, being acceptance factories, not giving really tailored advice. Uh, and of course, it's a bit of chicken and egg here. The sort of person who voluntarily signs up to a higher standard of advice is probably the sort of person who's not really going to have to change much when these rules come in because they were doing a lot of this kind of thing anyway. But it is right that you need to make sure that the client understands that each step, uh, that it's not just a single, you know, where do I sign to get my cash? And that's always the risk with this thing, that even if you have six boxes that they have to sign, there's always a risk they just say, well, you know, put yellow sticky bits on the edge of the page everywhere I have to sign. We've all done it. Uh, And you just sign because you want your money. And I think the challenge is to make this not a tick box exercise, but to give the client control to take the time to go through with them each of these areas to give them a chance to ask questions, to help them to realise they can opt out to ongoing services if they want. And so, although I don't think the Gold Standard Working Group has met since this FCA document was published, I'm sure they'll be supportive of the spirit of the, uh, of the recommendations. And as I say, the challenge is to make sure that this doesn't just become, you know, as it were, six tick boxes to sign in, but becomes a much greater engagement with the clients, making sure they really understand what they're doing. Okay, thanks, Steve. Justin, the FCA proposes making some changes to the transfer value comparator, with the most significant being a reduction of the assumed product charge from 0.75% to 0.4%. Now, this is going to have the effect of making the transfer look more favourable than it would on a 0.75% charge on a TVC basis, as we're not assuming as great a drag in investment performance up to the scheme NRG. So, Justin, what are your thoughts on this, and does it make the TVC more relevant than it was previously? Well, I think it might be helpful first for us to consider um, what the TVC is and what it does. The, the TVC, the transfer value comparator, is effectively two cash equivalent transfer values. The one on the left, usually the smaller one, is the one your scheme is actually offering you. The one on the right is a hypothetical one where gilts minus assumed product charge is used as the discount rate. 
Now, the point of it is to illustrate to the client what they would need to be given as a cash equivalent transfer value if they only wanted to take the same investment risk that they currently take in the DB scheme, which is none. The employer carries all the investment risk in a DB scheme. Gilts are being used as the risk-free rate of return. So the assumed product charge is changing, so the hypothetical cash equivalent transfer value is changing. The, the problem with the transfer value comparator is that at present, the transfer value offered is so much less than the amount you needed to get to represent equal value that, um, uh, that it runs the risk of being meaningless. Because of uh, on a transfer uh, based on a transfer value comparator alone, very few people would ever transfer. But of course, there are other factors at play which the transfer value comparator doesn't reflect. Reducing the assumed product charge from 0.75 to 0.4 should reduce the gap between those two columns, between those two figures, which has a potential to make it more meaningful and to look better value. Do remember, though, guilt rates have a massive impact on the transfer value comparator. So while the reduction in the assumed product charge will have some impact, there's still likely to be a significant difference between the transfer value that you've actually been offered and the transfer value that you needed to be offered to uh, represent fair value if you're taking the same risk. So, no, I don't think it's going to have an enormous impact. That's great. Steve, in the consultation paper, the FCA mentioned the increase in the forced compensation um, limit to £350,000 and that this has contributed to some advisors having difficulty obtaining PI cover in the pension transfer market. This appears to be a price that the regulator is willing to pay for increased consumer protection. So what's your view of the PI market for pension transfers and it's the implication of that for advisors? I think this is going to be extremely tough. Um, we've already seen increases in premiums because of the falls limit going up. We, we oppose that. Uh, it seems to us disproportionate to raise the falls limit to benefit 500 people a year. That's all the FOS think it will benefit, and not all of those are DB transfer cases. So given the impact that's had, the negative impact that's had on PE on the premiums, we think that was a mistake, but that seems to be a done deal. Um, and going forward, I've spoken to some PI insurers, and it's pretty grim conversation, I have to say. So um, their view is that if a firm gets turned down by their existing insurer, the chance of another PI insurer picking them up is pretty slight. Because, of course, what the PI insurer is largely insuring is past poor advice. And in a way, what the FCA document claims, you can quibble with the numbers, but what it claims is £2 billion pounds worth of consumer detriment has been suffered by poor past advice. Well, if you were a PI insurer and a, a firm you'd never done business with before came in and said, basically, would you cover us for our share of £2 billion quid, I think you wouldn't get much of a response. So I think it's going to be very hard for people who can't retain cover with their existing insurer to find it anywhere else. So we may find ourselves with a limited number of people offering advice. I think we could see networks who effectively self-insure most of this risk may be able to carry on. We may see cases where employers and schemes are appointing advisors to do all of the DB transfer advice or you know the bulk of it. That may be an area that continues. Um, we may see a model where advisors literally will just do what you might call carve-out cases. In other words, the FCA has kind of said, DB transfer is all right if you're going to be dead by 75 or if you can't pay your mortgage. We think that's okay. And so an advisor who says to a PI insurer, well, look, 
We've got definitions of those things. Uh, you know, those are the ones that can use contingent charging still. The FCA has effectively given us a nod and a wink that that's a, those transfers are okay. So that's low risk transfer work. So you could literally get people who are almost triaged or abridged advice. And unless they fall into one of those two categories, people can't get advice. So it's, um, it's pretty gloomy, I'm afraid. I think where a firm has done the job properly, has existing PI cover, costs will go up. Um, but they do they have a chance of retaining it but uh, once they've lost it it's very hard to see whether they'll ever get it back again okay another question for you steve you've been a vocal supporter of the um, statutory right to partial transfer is this still the case and how do you feel that this would benefit pension transfer advice yes the issue of partial transfers gets a passing mention in the fca document of course as they rightly say that's not within their gift you know giving people a legal right to a partial transfer isn't something the fca could do but, you know, they're talking to the Treasury, the DWP. So if advisors respond to this consultation payback, as I hope they will, one of the things I would urge them to do is endorse the partial transfer route because essentially uh, we did some advisor survey work, which we'll be publishing shortly, and a clear message is that strong support from advisors for partial transfers, pretty strong support for legal rights to a partial transfer uh, for the obvious reason that it is, as many advisors put it, the best of both worlds. You know, you're getting the guaranteed income of your state pension, what's left of your DD pension, and then the flexibility of the transferred sum. Uh, that's going to be the right answer for more people than a, an all or nothing choice. So I think it would give consumers more choice. It would be a lower risk for advisors and, and therefore potentially more insurable. Uh, if schemes are gradually becoming more willing to offer partial transfers, as we think they are, this feels like a win-win. So simply to to urge people to respond to the consultation paper and say, let's have more partial transfers. I think that would just help in a situation where this market could otherwise um, fall away quite dramatically. Again, last question for you, Steve. Are there any other potential remedies to the advice gap which a ban on contingent charging may create that we haven't already touched upon? Yes, there's one other, which again is mentioned in passing by the FCA, and again is one they say they can't themselves implement. And this is the idea of, of what you might call scheme pays for advice, which is to say, at the moment, obviously, uh, advice charges are coming out of the DC pot, but why, or, or indeed a check up front if it's not contingent, but why couldn't that be a debit against your DB rights? So we have debits against DB rights for pension sharing on divorce. We have debits against DB rights for scheme pays for uh, income tax bills on when you've gone over tax relief limits. Why couldn't you have scheme pays for advice? So. If advice costs three and a half thousand pounds or whatever, and your pot three hundred and fifty thousand pounds, you have let's say a one percent debit against your DB rights. That way, you don't need to find the cash up front. You can have the advice on a non-contingent basis, and then if you go ahead or not, then so if you, if you don't go ahead, you lose one percent of your DB rights. Well, you know that's not ideal, but you can live with it. And if you transfer then you haven't had to find the cash up front. So again, if people think that would be helpful, and most advisors I speak to are supportive, again, what we really need is the FCA to hear this, to hear this in volume, because Parliament has so little capacity to legislate, it's got its mind on other things. We really need a big voice from the advisor community to the FCA, saying that both of these things, partial transfers and scheme pays, would help in a situation where there is a risk lots of people simply won't be able to access or afford DB transfer advice. Okay, so thank you, um, Steve and Justin, for your comments and insight. As mentioned before, Justin's full analysis of the paper is in our advisor newsletter this month, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you.